Chapter Six of Just as I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just as I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Six. This man killed my father. While the father and daughter sat together by the cheerful home fireside, exchanging confidences full of love and trustfulness, Morton Blake was pacing the shrubbery path alone his soul at war with all the world. He went round to the back of the house, where the lighted windows of the justice-room shone out upon the misty autumn night. There were no shutters or blinds to hide the scene within. Morton walked close up to the window, and looked in as at a stage-play. There, at a plain oaken table in the centre of the large, scantily furnished room, at some distance from Sir Everard's writing-table and armchair, sat the self-accused murderer, eating his supper of bread and meat. A joint and a big home-baked loaf had been set before him, and he had been left alone with the food, no one to measure or stint his meal. He was eating more like a savage beast than a human being, now tearing at a slice of meat, anon gnawing at a huge hunch of bread, his eyes shifting uneasily towards the door every other instant, as if he thought the whole thing were too good to be true, and expected momentarily to be interrupted in his feast. "'Wolf!' muttered Morton, scowling at him through the glass. "'Could any man in his senses doubt this creature's capacity for murder? A mere ravenous beast, a body wanting to be fed, muscles and sinews and flesh and bone craving nutriment, a being without mind or heart or conscience, a creature that would as soon kill as breathe. Strange that remorse can have power over a soul so blunted and brutalised, a nature so gross and low. He stood as if rooted to the spot, watching every look, every movement of the man inside. This man killed my father, he said to himself. This debased wretch, wanting only to eat and live, cut short that brave, happy life in its flower, laid that handsome head in the dust, and made my boyhood desolate. For the sake of a handful of sovereigns and a few trinkets, that noble life was sacrificed. Devil, he muttered between his set teeth, I am sorry that the law must have you. I would rather my own right hand avenged my father's death. The man ate on with undiminished veracity, hacking the joint, mauling the big brown loaf, luxuriating in the plenitude of an unfamiliar luxury. Once, and once only, he paused in his banquet, and that was to look down at his knee and then along the floor and under the table, wistfully, with a regretful sigh. Oh, "'We wish Tim had been here,' he said. "'Wouldn't he have enjoyed hisself?' But he's well off, I'll warrant, that Sir Everard's a soften, though folks call him hard. There came a stage in the meal when even the starved wayfarer's hunger was appeased. The joint had shrunk to a bone, the noble loaf was reduced by half, and Humphrey Vargas leant back in his chair a contented man. True that he had surrendered his liberty, that fetters and jail were to be his portion, that a possible gallows loomed in the future. The thought of these things troubled him but little. He had filled himself with bread and meat. For the first time in many months he had enjoyed an ample meal. 
the cautious butler had given him nothing but water to drink obeying sir everard's order in the letter rather than in the spirit his master had said bread and meat and he had given the man bread and meat no more and no less i should a liked to supper get her sighed the tramp but i've blowed myself out pretty fair without it and i ain't ungrateful to-morrow i s'pose it'll be skilly and soup but that'll be a great deal better than hips and haws and bits of mouldy panam stole out of a pigsty morton blake walked away from the window and strolled slowly round by a shrubberied walk to the broad terrace in front of the house the moon had risen and the mists of evening were floating away from the garden and chase and the wide landscape beyond fairview stood on high ground and from the terrace morton could see woodland and valley the twinkling lights of a low-lying village and yonder far away to the left on the edge of the horizon the dimly defined outline of the roofs and steeples of highclere the county town the wind had gone down with the rising of the moon the air was cold but morton was hardly sensible of its chilliness as he walked slowly up and down the terrace or paused now and then to stand with folded arms looking across the italian garden the velvet lawns and choice timber to the vaguer world beyond looking with fixed eyes which saw no feature of the familiar scene how cold and indifferent they are he said to himself it seems nothing to them that after all these years my father's murderer stands revealed and retribution is at hand even dulcie would sooner yonder wretch should go scot-free than that he should expiate his crime <laughs> i believe she would be weak enough to feel sorry for him for the first time in his life he was inclined to be angry with his betrothed for the first time since he had known and loved her he felt their hopes and interests were divided how sad she had looked when he left her just now he seemed to himself hardly to have noticed that tender pleading glance at the time yet now that one particular look flashed upon his memory and was as vividly present to his eye as a face in a picture and that one picture the gem of the gallery he turned towards the porch tempted to go back to dulcie the lighted windows of her favourite room shone out upon the moonlit garden with the cheerful glow of lamps and fire he was in no mood for lover's talk or music or poetry or art but he wanted to see dulcie again before the evening was over the hall door was neither locked nor barred against him he had only to turn the handle and go in yet on the point of doing so he changed his mind and went back to the shrubbery at the end of the house and round again to the justice room when he looked through the window the prisoner was no longer alone sir everard was standing by his writing-table with a paper in his hand reading its contents aloud while the local constable respectfully listened and vargas stood aloof twisting his flabby hat in his bony old hands and quietly awaiting the next turn in that wheel of fortune which had rarely revolved in such a way as to bring him any good presently vargas at the magistrate's bidding walked up to the table and with laborious effort affixed his signature to the deposition that had just been read over to him his sign manual was only a cross but he took as much pains in producing it as if it had been the most perfect thing in autographs 
i've got a shay-cart at my place said the constable who was a bluff rosy-cheeked rustic and i shall soon spin him over to highclere you haven't got nothing in the way of firearms or other weapons about you have you mate he inquired of vargas running his hand dexterously over the man's gaunt figure as he spoke to assure himself that there were no such implements of slaughter concealed under his scanty rags no growled vargas i don't see where an old scarecrow like me could hide a revolver or a blunderbuss there ain't much room in my rotten old togs the constable clapped a pair of handcuffs upon him with a business-like air as if there were no malice in the proceeding and then with a bow to sir everard led his prisoner away thank god exclaimed morton my mind is easier now that that's done he ran quickly round to the front of the house and then to the avenue along which the two men must come and here in the shadow of the elm trunks he stood and waited for them they passed him presently the prisoner walking at a slow and dogged pace beside the guardian of the village peace his head sunk on his breast his fettered wrists hanging in front of him his weary old shoulders stooping under the burden of a long life of penury disrepute and evil-doing a creature too low for hatred looked at from a philosopher's point of view morton blake saw in him not the natural product of an imperfect civilization but only the murderer of a beloved father and hated him with unmeasured wrath he followed the constable and his companion to the village waited while a methuselah among ponies was harnessed to the shay-cart and saw the official drive briskly along the moonlit lane towards highclere with his prisoner sitting anyhow a high-shouldered heap of degraded humanity at his side they were past the ditch where my father was found twenty years ago this very night said morton he set off across the field to his own house pondering as he went along how he was to tell the story of to-night's business at home tangley manor was just a mile and a half from osthorpe in the opposite direction to highclere it was a pleasant walk through country lanes crossing the london road about half-way from osthorpe the estate was large the land some of the most fertile in the county for old geoffrey blake had never bought a bad thing there was a good deal of wood which the purchaser had got for a song but which gave dignity and beauty to the substantial modern mansion which he had built on the site of a picturesque old half-timbered farmhouse the lighted windows of tangley manor house shone upon morton with a comfortable look as he walked slowly across the common which lay between the gates and the coach-road the house stood only a little way back from the common a lawn and flower-beds in front shrubberies on each side encircling the garden and shrubberies there was a wood where no axe had been heard save for improvement for the last fifty years old geoffrey blake had loved tangley and his son walter born in the newly erected manor-house had inherited his father's affection for every tree and every acre poor aunt dora sighed morton as he drew nearer the house she will feel it most she loved him dearly and mourned him more deeply than any of us yes even than i for as time went by and i grew older i had all the distractions of rugby and cambridge while she sat at home and mourned for him how shall i tell her how reopen the old wound 
without giving her unspeakable pain. But she must know. The county papers will be full of this business two days hence. End of chapter 6